This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to those of you joining us for the very first time. We have another guest. I told you, getting some of these people to come on the show, some of these UXers that are doing great things out here, voices you folks need to hear. I've got another guest with me on today. Today, I have for this Talking Shop segment, which is becoming a norm on the show. Today, I have with me Justin Ranton, and as is my custom, I don't introduce anybody other than telling you who they are. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to let Justin uh, tell you who he is. And as uh, Debbie Levitt likes to say, tell them why we should care. Take it away, Justin. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Darren. I'm really excited to do this talk. Uh, you've, you've been a... Uh, uh, an inspiration and a remote mentor. We don't have a formal mentorship, but you've been mentoring me for the better part of five or six years now. And, wow, that long. Uh, it, yeah, it's been a while. So, <laughs> um, and here we are, you know, getting to do this. Um, real quick, just a quick note before we get started. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I do work at a live core, obviously the views I express here are my own and do not necessarily affect those of a live core yes. or my past, present, future clients. So let me get that out of the way. <laughs> uh, now that that's out of the way, let me tell you who I am and why you care. Uh, so um, I'm a fiance to Heather, uh, my beautiful partner of nine years. Uh, I'm a dog dad to two amazing puppers, uh, a, a pit bull named Floki and a terrier named Karma. Uh, I'm a multi-instrumentalist musician who's released three records in the hard oh, wow. rock and multi-metal genre. Uh, okay. I love to cook. And I've been telling people for the last year and a half now that if I ever leave UX, I'm going to become a chef. That's like my next thing. Um <clears throat> I also live with adult ADHD, uh, which I believe is my superpower uh, when I can focus, of course. <laughs> so, um, in the professional sense, uh, I'm a UX leader. I'm a mentor, advisor, and consultant. I'm currently the senior manager and head of UX uh, design and research for AliveCore, um, uh, advanced healthcare community uh, uh, company, you know, doing some really amazing things in the cardiological space, mm-hmm. uh, where I manage a global team of UX designers, researchers and content strategists. Um, I also consider myself a change agent. I know that uh, you were talking about that recently on uh, one of your previous episodes. uh, And, you know, because I feel like I'm here to help crystallize the complexities of user experience. um, And I want to drive a culture of user centricity for, you know, my company, but other, other companies as well, their products, services, and brands and helping to level up the community. So, yeah. Yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and I love when people, because one of the things I just heard you say, is not just about the work. I almost want to get a t-shirt <laughs> that says yeah. that because so many people, and I see people, they're, they're talking about uh, doing the research and talking about the prototypes and to just talk about all these little things that we do. But I found, and it sounds like you have too over the years, if you just focus on the work, we're going to miss something. And, and that thing that we miss that's associated with UX helps to drive value. It helps to drive wins for the users, for the business, for ourselves as individuals in our career pursuits, and for the discipline as large. When we understand the whole, it, it helps us do UX better, basically speaking. Yeah. And, and so always glad to hear somebody mention that, even directly or indirectly. I, I just always love that. But of course... You know, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, one of the the things about that particular thing that strikes me as interesting is part of what, you know, you talk a lot about emotional intelligence. Yes. uh, You're actually one of the first people that really started resonating with me from that perspective when I started digging in and really understanding what that meant. And the aspect of self-awareness is literally UXing yourself, right? So I try to apply that to the things that I do. You know, I know I'm not a perfect human being and I can do better with my processes and remembering to do things. And, 
but I have to, I, I, if I look at everything I'm doing from that perspective, it's always at the forefront, right? So mm-hmm. I UX my kitchen and, you know, are things close to yep. me? UX my <laughs> living room? Where are my remote controls, you know, uh, you know, and, and all those types of things and, and try to be aware. So I think that those two things are super ingrained, but uh, you just want to highlight, highlight that point. Yeah, that, that, that's phenomenal. I'm actually going to throw another thing here. You just made me think about something. So here we are already going off script, but, <laughs> but I, I don't know how you stand on this. I fell in love with ISO mm. uh, principles before I was a UX professional. Interesting. To the before ex- you were a UX professional. Yes. To the okay. extent that I came, I brought ISO home. I helped the company try to achieve its ISO certification. I was one of the key people that was helping to get mm. people trained and getting people on board uh, in doing certain things. You know, say what you do, do what you do, what you say and prove it. That was the old thing. Right. So, um, I, I, I loved ISO so much, I brought ISO home wow. with me. So when you talked about ISOing yeah. your, or, or, or UXing your, where are my remotes and things like that, I do the same yeah. thing. Let's make our home efficient. Uh, my wife had to shift <laughs> to get home. Of board course. It. <laughs> yeah. But it was something that she began to see it. Hey, put the keys back in the same place all the time. You know, little, little right. simple things like that that just help to make things go. You know, have mm-hmm. this going to be crude, but I'm going to say it anyway. Have the toilet paper in a reasonable position. So when, when you run out, yeah, it's exactly. easy to, you know, little things like that that make life easier. So I'm big on UX everything and, and UX applies everywhere when we really think about it. And yeah, we're at Max, I think we're going we're gonna to have a show that talks about the how pervasive UX is to help people understand. And I heard somebody recently say that UX is just about digital stuff. And I'm going, no, matter of fact, this mm-hmm. happened on LinkedIn. I said, no, no, wow. <laughs> the room you're sitting in has a UX. The TV you're yeah. looking at has a UX, the toaster. I mean, you can't go anywhere or do anything without being impacted by UX, whether the UX has been executed properly or not. Mm-hmm. You, you can't escape it. So I, I hope more and more professionals understand that more companies are starting to see it and for the ivr uh uh and ux the marriage there is starting to expand glad to hear that oh, yeah. calling companies drives you up a wall you can't sneeze without going to the wrong department i mean somebody's got to do some work on those things yeah exactly <laughs> yeah you're 100 right i agree yep. yeah concur but here we go tell yeah. them tell them justin how did you get into ux what's the story oh my gosh uh, it's the same old story that everybody tells. No, um, for me, to be quite honest, I, I did some thinking on this because I always tell the story about like, oh, well, I started as a graphic designer and then I started doing websites and blah, blah, blah. But really there was, there was actually, there was a pivotal moment. It was the transactional nature of sales, marketing, and advertising, which led me to UX. Okay. How do I drive transaction? How do I create conversions? How do I motivate people to do things that they need to do, whether mm-hmm. or not they know they need to do them and do it in a way that is both ethical, awesome. driving emotional value and uh, helping to create, you know, um, real, real reward for, for those efforts, right? So, um kind of going through the experience of that, I studied radio and television and marketing in in school. I thought I was going to be um, uh, a radio personality or I thought I was going to do advertising. Basically I just want to do music in some capacity and get close to radio. Right. Um, So that's what I studied in school, but here's what happened. I joined a metal band. I dropped out of college and I went on tour. Like we traveled around and played music. I wrote records, but somebody had to design our marketing collateral. Somebody had to design our website. Somebody had to do all these things. Uh, so I, I had already been playing with Photoshop since I was, you know, in high school learning how to do, I was doing web banners, you know, and things like that. Me and my uh, buddies were building net bombs and stuff like that. And uh, what it turned into was, <clears throat> Hey, I saw that you did that poster. Can you do a poster for my band? And then can you do a CD cover for my band? And, can you do this? and it kind of, it, you know, grew, right? Well, while I was in school, um, I had landed a job. I I don't, my personality landed a job uh, as the director of marketing for a hotel chain. (laughs) Didn't even have a degree, uh, but my title at the time was director of marketing. I was 21 or 22 years old, right? I I had no idea what I was doing. What I knew was that I could talk to people and I could do sales. And that's why I was there, right? I was doing billboard design and marketing collateral and stuff like that. And eventually it turned into me having my own like little mini agency that I, I ran off, you know, side project for like the better part of 15 years or something. Wow. Okay. 
Um, I really found a passion in print. So I, I did some stints in the print world. I sold print for a, a major print, uh, print, uh, shop, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, press is, I guess, the correct word for the industry, a web press, an off-sheet press for, uh, out of Texas for uh, a little while, and that was really fun. Then I got into retail print and was running copy and print centers, and ended up, some guy walked in one day, and he said to me, hey, uh, we have a, a, pro- a project manager position open up, uh, and you know, I had been doing work for them. I had been designing stuff for them. Mm-hmm. And they said, Hey, we have this job. Are you interested? And I went and talked to them and uh, they're just like, yeah, um, this was a great thing. And what it ended up being, I was a, the project manager for all of their digital projects. There was mm-hmm. 300 websites and these are all mom and pop websites, right? So this is a wow. local company. And what we would do is we would have a sales team. They go out and they, you know, for 2,500 bucks or whatever contract mom and pop restaurant down the road would get a website. Well, my team was responsible for creative. Uh, the At the time, I really didn't know exactly that I was doing UX, but all the UX right. aspect of it, I was managing an <laughs> offshore team of developers. Uh, I was managing an in-house team of designers. I was managing SEO, search engine optimization. I was managing social media accounts. I was doing all of it. And um, what happened was the, the owner of the business ended up in Jordan and it was during, you know, the conflict over there back in, I think, 2012 or something. He got stuck and couldn't come home. Mm. Ended up running the entire company for six months, basically, right? Um, and it was really an eye-opening opportunity. What, what was happening, though, is these clients would come in and they would, they would have an idea for a logo. Like, they'd want, like, you know a client that doesn't really know what they want. Right. And they come in with, they want everything in their logo. They want, they want glitter, they want Chrome and they want gold leaf and they want everything. Right. And they want it to be a lion with a city in the background, the whole nine yards. And I thought, what, why do they want this? And I I started trying to understand where they were coming from. And that was a huge light bulb for me. And I was like, these people are trying to get people interested in their product and they're trying to do it through a mark or they're trying to do it through these really like flamboyant sales tactics. Mm -hmm. So uh, I started doing some research and learning about, you know, um, how to do web design, that transition to graphic design. And I had been doing this stuff and taking online courses already, but it really was a shift in, in mentality of, okay, I had one client come in and he said, our biggest problem, we, we have a great brand and I agree that their products looked really well. Their, their website was really well designed, but they were having people con- problems with people converting on their website. Yep. Right. So yep. this is the million dollar question. How do you get people to buy? Uh, and that's when I started learning about the co- cognitive uh, science behind getting mm. people motivated to do things. Yeah, yeah. That's when I started learning about UX. That's whenever I picked up the very first book, UX book I ever bought was Steve Krug's, um, um, (laughs) you know which one? Don't make me think. Thank you. Don't make me think. (laughs) I don't know how I stumbled across it, but I read that book. I have it now still the same copy. It has thousands of post-it notes in it. It's marked to hell, you know, like even if I wanted to, I just have to read, pull post-it notes off to read the book, right? Um, And then from there, it just kind of, I got so engrossed in this idea of what user experience was and the discipline and that it touched everything. Like you just said, it's such an enigma and such a monolith that um, I just got sucked into it. And with my ADD, it was something I could sink my teeth into that was healthy, that would advance my career, that would make me money. And that was it. Right. Uh, So that's kind of how I got started into it. Uh, And then the career aspect of it, I was like, Hey, um, I had a buddy in St. Louis. He's like, you need a recruiter. Cause I was doing this design work and I really wasn't happy. I wanted to take that next step. I wanted to do UX for real and I couldn't yeah, do it where yeah. I was. So he connected me with a recruiter and, um, I landed a job as a, as a, a contractor for a healthcare company out of St. Louis. And, you know, n- next thing I'm, I'm consulting on UX. I'm their first UX role at the company really. Uh, and next thing I know it, it just kind of turned out from there. And, and I've been, following you ever since that's around the time I, I found out about you and uh, found out about the rest of the community. So, yeah, man, what a, it, you just never know. Right. You really don't like what a journey, you know? Yeah. And oh, I mean, I left out so much there and I could talk about this for years. Right, like right. I'm a multi-potentialite. I don't know if you've seen that Ted talk before, but I, no. I totally gravitate towards this. And 
when it, I, it has a lot to do with, you know, having ADD, but being able to manage it, I see something, I want to learn it. I go and I, it's like, I'll stay up for hours. I won't sleep and I'll just dig into something until I feel like I can go do it. Right. Oh, and that's just who I am. Boy, does that sound familiar? You, you just remind me, remember Macromedia fireworks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went, you, you just brought back a memory for me when I need to learn something. I'm, I'm, you know, I, you know, my background, I'm, 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 I got into mm-hmm. instructional or into UX from instructional design and yeah. have for years been putting together all types of theories. And I'm very methodical on, on how I learned. I've done LX work uh, within the world mm-hmm. of experience design. And, and when it comes to learning something, I know how people learn and I know how I learn and mm-hmm. Macromedia fireworks came out and I said, you know what? I want to learn how to use this. And I just shut myself in a room <laughs> yeah. and I didn't come out. I did projects. I did everything. I went through every option on the menu and, and uh, I did the same thing with flash and, and I still do the same thing to some extent today, but, but it's just, yeah, you know, dive in, immerse. There's something about that. You, you mentioned this earlier. We we're talking about video editing and stuff like that. It's addictive and yeah. it is addictive. Yeah. Fortunately, <laughs> it can, not all addictions can be unhealthy, right? But Fortunately, I think these types of things are productive. I'm doing yeah. something that can advance me, but I'm the same. I'm the same way. Yeah. Just yeah. lock yourself in a room and come out when you feel like you can do it. Yeah. You remind me of another. I'll throw this and I won't give a long story on this one because we're here to interview you, but you made me think about something else. It's a, sort of a saying I have. It's good to be addicted mm-hmm. to excellence. Yeah. No, it's a great saying. I love that. Yes, it really Which is. is. That's what my TED talk was about. <laughs> yeah. As long as, as long as it doesn't, derail right. your other priorities in life, right? Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. And you have balance. Then you can get things mm-hmm. done, which is because if you don't, if you're not balanced, you're not truly addicted to excellence because then if you're, uh, you're focused on something too far, then you're going, you're, you're tipping the scales and right. something else is yeah. out of whack. And so we don't want to do that, but yeah, you just remind me about that, man. I, I just love that story. I love I love that story. I, I sometimes wish we could just get people together. Just tell your story. How do you get into UX and just compile them? Because they're just fantastic stories that I think people need to hear because they're mm-hmm. they want to get into UX and they're overcomplicating it. They're they're overcomplicating. Yeah. They act like there's this big wall. No, there's not. How many the people don't realize how many of us got into UX on a humble and by a mistake? Mm-hmm. It was yeah. I didn't sit up in 1995 and say, you know what? I want to do UX. It wasn't, the only person that had UX in their title was, was Don Norman. Yeah. And none of us knew who he was. Right. We didn't know who he was for almost another seven, eight, nine years. So uh, after, after that happened, but, but we just fell into it. And, and I hear that so many times you're, you're doing all this work, doing print stuff. Somebody walks in and talks to you about being a project manager and then the next thing you know, over time, that turns into a UX journey, but you never knew. I had and, no and, idea. And, and, and almost all of us have the same story in some way, form well, or fashion. Yeah, there, was a, there was an accelerator in this that I left out. And in 2013, I, I was in a bad motorcycle accident. I broke mm-hmm. my hip Ooh. and I had pins and I couldn't walk for like six months. It was really bad. And... Um, I was teaching myself. So my uncle is a, uh, a BIM coordinator. So this stands for business uh, information models, I believe. Okay. And what he does basically, he designs uh, architectural drawings for electrical maps, right? So he's running electrical piping and things like that. And he's like, you need to learn how to do this because if you can do this, I can hire you as, you know, making, making 50 grand a year doing this. Right. Like, and I'm like, Oh cool. Mo- money motivation. Right. <laughs> well, I was also learning how to code websites because uh-huh. people were asking about that kind of stuff. So that was a, a really pivotal point where I was sitting in a bed and wow. that was the first time I saw my very first UX video um, was looking through Udemy trying to find how to do web design. Uh-huh. And I stumbled across Joe Natoli's like, UX like master course or whatever. And that was really the very first foundational piece of that's where I first learned about Jesse James Garrett's book. Yes. Um, that's where I first learned about Susan Weinshank. Yep. Uh, that's where I first learned about um, <laughs> Derek Featherstone and Gabe Zickerman. Um, and these are the people that, uh, you know, we're kind of going into your second question here. How do I develop the acumen? Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's these online courses and from these people who really kind of established that for me, lynda.com, LinkedIn courses, oh, yeah. and just 
absorbing as much as I can, but I was in bed. I was watching courses like 18 hours a day, Darren, and sleeping <laughs> six hours a night. No, let me rephrase that. I was sleeping from like, I don't know, uh, 9 a.m. to like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And then I was just watching UX videos and reading books. And, and that's what it turned into, yep. right? Um, you know, Jesse James Garrett, About Face, uh, Don Norman's, Jamie Levy, oh, Leah Bewley, all of these face. people, right? Oh my yeah. God, about face. Yes. It's sitting on my desk in front of me right now. Like I use it all the time. One of my, one of my folks on my team today said something about, uh, you, you're really good at recognizing, you know, like UI, you're really good at just knowing what needs to be there. I'm like about face. I, I didn't, I didn't think of this right then, but now that we're talking about it about face interaction design is like the foundation for that. Recognizing the patterns and knowing where they yep. go. Like patterns repeat themselves, right? Yep. That's why they're patterns. So, um, and then another great one that not a lot of people know about is a book called Experience Required by Robert Heckman. And uh, this book is really interesting. It's yes. not so much about, yes, yes, yes. are you familiar with this? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not so much about the broad discipline as UX as it is translating design requirements into something that you can use as a weapon. <laughs> Whenever you're going to stakeholder <laughs> conversations, right? You lay it out. Here's what we're going to do. You get them to sign on the dot. You've just signed a contract with them. Then any decision that you make moving forward, you revert back to that document. Does it align with these goals that you agreed to? No, then we're not doing it. Yes, then let's keep it in and keep moving forward, right? Um, the other two pieces for acumen development is, you know, networking. Um, I started looking for the who's who in this discipline and following them. That's yes. how I found you. Like I, it was just happenstance. I was on LinkedIn. I did a search. Anybody who had UX in their title, <laughs> I sent them a LinkedIn connection and I didn't even tell them who I was. I just did it. Right. And um, Twitter, I did the same thing. And uh, I just started absorbing. Right. I started doing all these searches. Networking is such a vital part. Uh, one of my yes. favorite phrases is, you can't soar with the eagles if you're hanging out with the turkeys, right? So I tried to find the people that are elevating what I want to do. And uh, I looked for them. Yeah, thank you. I'm here all uh, week. So, yeah. And it's just such a, it's just the, the community has so, like, I feel really bad for beginners right now because it's completely different than when I got started. Yes. There was not near as much misinformation when I started. Yes. It was really easy to find the right things because there, it wasn't littered with boot camps and design thinking was a thing, but it wasn't being advocated for as a replacement. It hadn't, um, it hadn't you know, been um, corrupted yet. Yeah. Thank you. Because <laughs> um, so, Idio, Idio was smart. Yeah. But people today's design thinking is not what Idio was stressing. And, no, and, and, and even even Stanford, I think I don't think anybody is, is expecting you to get anything about coming together and doing arts and crafts. I can't believe that you just said those two things, because here's why. <laughs> the The fourth piece of, of my acumen development uh-huh. is teaching, mm-hmm. right? It's teaching people. And I taught, I don't know how many people I've gone through acumen plus uh, idios course. I've taught so many people there. I've taught D schools design thinking. My favorite workshop is their empathy workshop. I freaking love that thing because it just puts people in a different mindset. It's not about design. It's not about UX. It's not about the product. It's strictly about having a conversation with people and hearing what they have to say. It completely breaks down all the walls and I, I love it. So teaching that and reinforcing that to other people really helps solidify my foundational knowledge, mm-hmm. right? That's yep. where I, I feel like I have a really strong foundational knowledge. I don't go deep. I'm not a cognitive scientist and I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm not going to go out and run a longitudinal research study. I hire experts to do that because I recognize right. they have right. a skill that's been developed there and that's what I want to do. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's, so it's, it's that it's, I, I embedded myself in these courses. I read a lot of books. I've got as a matter of fact, I've got one that you just re- recommended recently. I haven't cracked yet, but it's sitting right in front of me, Engaged by Amy, yes. uh, Amy yes. Butcher. Yeah. Uh, so I've got that one. Uh, I've also been reading a lot about game design lately. So I've got Flow, uh, which is yes. a, a, gosh. Yes. Um, Mihai Chick sent me high. Yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, Love that guy. So these are two books recently that I'm digging into. Uh, it's, it's about keeping that network going, following people, but, but being aware of, you know, I have a lot of people in my network that share a lot of misinformation, but I still follow those people and keep an eye on what they say, because 
I feel like a lot of that is from their experiences, the people they're interfacing with. And yes. I want to know how that's developing. I want to see yes. where that's coming from. Yes. Uh, and then finally, it's that teaching, reinforcing, helping others grow, leading and mentoring that just re-solidifies. So that's how I developed the acumen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, I love that that last point too. I, I have the same connected to a lot of people. Watch what they say. Sometimes I will say something to them about what they said. And sometimes they will engage. We'll, we'll dialogue. And, and then they, some of them shift. Like, okay, you, You've good. done it to me. You've done it to me. You've <laughs> called me out of my shit before. And I listen. I, 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 man, there have been so many times where I'm like, I can't believe Darren said that. You know, I back talk to you in my, like, in my head, right? Like, I can't believe he said that. And then I'm like, you know what? A, a couple of years ago, I said something about UX elitists. I tagged, I tagged a comment about UX elitists. You're like, you shouldn't use that. And I had to think about that because... I still use it, but I use it in a different way. It was a yeah. negative term when I used it the, the original time, but I still think that that exists. I still think there are people out there that are UX elitists that, are. that have a very they have a very clear picture of where way it should be, and they're not open to shifting the mentality. They're not open. Yeah. It's just like you say, the juniors and folks they need to be open to the seniors and what they have to say and receive yeah. it. Everybody's got something to say. Everybody's got something to learn, right? So yeah, and it's interesting but, for the people who are the quote-unquote elitist, I mean, why do we forget our, our own journeys? Why, why, things shifted. When, when I started, we were all information architects, most of us. Uh-huh. There were, and I always say, information architect, human-computer interaction folks, and interaction designers. That made up 100% yeah. of what we now know as UX. And then mm-hmm. it became increasingly information architects. And then the shift came around 2007, somewhere between 2007, 2010, it shifted. And then you start to see UX about 2009, 2010 start to become a norm where people started actually talking about UX and you start seeing the titles and, and things yeah. like that. And then the boot camps come along in 2012, 2013, and now yeah. there's all types of stuff, but you know that stuff aside, there's always been all types of shifts and, and when we started all this information architects, the next thing you know, we start, they start having us do research. And the next thing you know, we're spending time with strategy. So we, we saw, uh, I love what you said about how the information, you didn't have the misinformation. You could get a book on UX and it was going to help you grow in, in 2003, in, in 2009. Uh, one of my mm-hmm. favorite old books, with, I don't even think they printed anymore. It's called Defensive Design for the Web. That book oh, changed nice. my life. It changed my life. Homepage usability by Jacob Nielsen. It changed my life. Mm-hmm. It taught me that mm-hmm. we we thrive on watching something and basically what I like to call proofreading. We we do design proofreading and we identify every because that's what he did. The whole book that was it. Fifty popular websites that he ripped to shreds, and I learned how to rip the rip sites to shreds and got my first UX job because of it. Because I ripped the site to shred, to shreds, and 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 the company I was interviewing with tell us about our site. I just happened to have done a heuristic analysis on their site. And oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> and I so I said, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be me because I want them to hire me, so I'm yeah. gonna be me. And so I just ripped it, and they say, you know what? We feel the same exact way. And, and I vaulted over several, and I found out who some of those people were that I that were also up for the position that I beat. I found out who they were later, but it was, uh, mm-hmm. which I will always hold that to myself. But of course we, these things are, you know, we, 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 we came along a different way and we, 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 we matured, we shifted, we changed now with all the misinformation it's causing a skewing of what even the very perception of UX. So it's, so it's dangerous for people who don't have folks they can tap into. So big, big uh, props on the call out of the networking because it's got to be done. It's got to be Not done. Only that, when you look at the misinformation, it, yeah, it's the people coming up, but it's also the people that are really intelligent and smart and they don't, they don't know what, like people that are not UXers. I have a really yeah. close friend that uh, we, we talk about UX all the time. We have what we call nerd wars in our discord channel all the time. <laughs> and we talk about everything. And we were just talking about like the challenges that UXers face, uh, you know, with, you know, this is a little bit related to the post that you made recently around the new, the, um, on, on medium about, um, 
UXers, we're not arrogant. We can come across arrogant. And why? Right? Why it comes oh, across as weird. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, uh, right? the new When a UX professional thinks, helping people to understand about the makeup, basically. Of, the of rules, a UX. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What UXer is, how they operate, yeah. how they think, and how they're trying to communicate yeah. to people. Yep. Well, the disconnect is that in the reality, from his perspective, leaders and companies, C-suite leaders, VPs have been doing UX for a long time. They've been looking at, um, you know, these opportunity areas. They've been looking at what works. Engineers have been doing unit testing since engineers have been doing unit te- like coding. Yep. That is in essentially some form of user testing. It's not, it's not, a, um, you know, like, it's not maybe scholastic in practice UAT. or whatever, but right. Yeah, exactly. UAT. Yep. That's exactly right. Um, but I, I guess, so there's so much misinformation out there that even somebody like that that's sitting away from it a little bit has a hard time deciphering and understanding yes. the challenges and how yes. do they leverage that information, right? It's yep. not just the UX professionals that are suffering. It's the MBAs that are yep. trying to make sense of it. It's the CEO that's trying to make sense of it. And here we are as UX professionals sitting here trying to advocate for the right thing to do, but there's so much shit out there. It's hard to decipher like what is actual. And, you know, at the end of yep. the day, they got to trust the people they hire, but at the same time, it's just, it's hard. I mean, it's hard for everybody. They need to be able to engage a little. That's why you reminded me of how there's one company I worked for where I had established a three-point UX certification track. Mm -hmm. Uh, One track Mm -hmm. was for Mm -hmm. practitioners. I don't talk about this a lot on LinkedIn, uh, but um, so a lot of people don't know about it. But one track was for practitioners to help them to be more well-rounded. If you're visually based, we can help you to strengthen your research, your information architecture, and your usability. Mm -hmm. If you're more information architecture focused, we can help you with your interaction design, your interface design, and your research. If you're more research focused, we can help you be a better researcher because what a novel idea that a researcher knows more about UX because otherwise they really don't know how to properly design their research. That's what I talked about on last week's episode. Uh, so it, it's it, it's it's interesting how that that um, you know people are UXers need need to be broader. Need to, we need to go back yeah. to the age of the generalist in the sense of whether you are a specialist or not. Folks need to be well skilled. But I'll go on a tangent if I go in that direction. Uh, but one track was for the practitioners. Get back to that. One track was for stakeholders. To the point you just yeah. made that stakeholders. You're not a practitioner, but you need to be how can I say fluent in at least being able to understand what we're doing, how we operate and the value that we bring. And, yeah. and, and it enables us to do a better job as UXers when the stakeholders are more informed and when they do have yeah. that filter. And then we wanted the third track was for people who were interested in UX that were in the company. Why not grow our own vegetables, so to speak, right from within our own cabbage patch. Instead of mm-hmm. having to go out and get people on the street, because that that's a, a cesspool as well. The whole candidate arena is a cesspool. So, so yeah, it's a, helping those people understand more about UX is good for all of us. Agreed. Yeah. Big on that. Big on that. What's your fondest memory as a UX pro? You know, this is obviously a difficult question to answer because I'm going to give you a high level answer and then I'm going to give you a a more specific one. Every time I ship a successful experience where I'm impacting the business, I'm impacting the user, I'm impacting the teams I'm working on in a positive way. Those are fond and they don't ever go away. The teams and the people that I've worked with, the things that we've worked on through all of the pain and hardship, like you all, you, was it uh, the the podcast with Eric and and Megan, was it? Uh, Michelle. Michelle, thank you. Uh, sorry, Michelle. Yeah, one thing she was kind of talking about was um, the people and the connections that we make across these projects and these products are super, super important to me. And those things are lasting relationships and bonds that I'm going to have for uh, for an eternity. But I'll tell you, the most fond memory that I have is uh, the empathy interview day that I hosted at a live core whenever I was there, like, I think I was there for maybe two months or something. Mm-hmm. I put to, I used D schools packet. I put together an empathy workshop. I taught a handful of people in the room, how to do an empathy interview. This was technical program manager. This was a product manager, chief medical officer. Uh, there was also, um, uh, our HR director was in this session and then a couple of other people. And all I taught them was how to host an empathy interview. We go out to Stanford Mall 
and we did interviews and we found some amazing insights from people. We were just asking them how they track their health. How do you manage your health? How do you track it? What are things? And we had some really awesome conversations, but I tell you the thing that, that really stands out is that we had all those different people coming together, different roles and responsibilities at the org, learning to think differently about what work we were doing, right? Yeah. We were looking at it from people's perspectives rather than business perspective. And that was super empowering to me. And I still like almost tear up thinking, I saw some photos of it the other day and uh. I'm just like, wow, what an <laughs> powerful experience, right? Empowering experience. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Let me see. I know we're, we're going to be running short on time, so I might jump around the questions a little bit. Uh, biggest regret as a UXer. Look, the biggest regret I have is not finishing school, period. Like, that's the bottom line. I wish I would have gotten a degree. Um, That's it. Like, I feel like everything that's got me here was the right thing to do. But if I could go back and finish a business degree, get an MBA, you know, finish school. And you're a great example of this. You're doing it now uh, as a part of your work. You're you're finishing your doctorate right now, which I think is amazing. Um, I don't have a bachelor's degree, so I still have to do my undergrad. Like it's a huge like thing for me to even be thinking about. So that's my biggest regret is not finishing that. But, you know, I know it's not, it's related, but it's not directly. I just don't have formal education. So uh, you know, that nips me in the ass sometimes. I think Michelle was talking about this too. I talked to big companies and things and it's just not the, I don't have all those pretty certifications at the back of my name. That's why I use the UXC one because it's the one I got. Right, right. And, and, and there is some snobbery on the part of companies yeah. that will look for certain well, things. If it's any encouragement at all, and some people don't know this about me, so here's a an unknown Darren Hood factoid, uh, is that I got my associate's degree in 1992 uh, and didn't go to school for another 10 years. And I actually had wow. dropped out of school. I dropped out of college initially. I'm about to tell my age. Nobody knows how old I am. I dropped out of college initially in, uh, yes, I dropped out in 1982. Wow. I got my associates in 1992. I went back in 2002 and I got my first undergrad, full undergrad degree in 2006. And I've been in school wow. ever since 2003. So it, it's like never stop. It's, yeah. it's never too late to do it. And, it's not and, right. And, and I have, I have start. people don't know this either. I started my doctoral degree over three times. Wow. Three times. Wow. Terrible school. Persistence. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Right. You would mean, what do you mean? They have a habit of changing people's dissertations. I'm out. I don't care if I only have a, I don't care if I, if, the, if I do only have a year and a half left and I can't transfer any of these courses, you people are crazy. I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> I'm not giving you wow. another dime. So yeah. You, well, you I'm could. really proud of you. Dude. <laughs> I, like I, I, I know we don't have, like I, I am, it's, I'm proud of you to see that because that, that speaks so much volume about your tenacity, your perseverance, yes. what, what you're doing. It, it speaks so much volumes about the maturity that you have as a professional to continue to elevate this stuff up. I'm much more in the trenches and ingrained and I want to learn by doing and stuff. But I, I, I do, I get into conversations sometimes, Darren, where people are talking over me. I understand the concepts. I know what they're talking about. They're yeah. talking over me with the language and stuff. So I've been, I actually been taking an MBA course on Udemy. I'm not going to have a certificate, you know, attached to my name, but mm-hmm. at least I'll know what's being discussed. Right. And I, right. I think that's important. Right. And that's good. And, and people should always do that. I think something else that you're just sparking here. I got to give, I, I give a little bit more color to what I just said. I got my first UX job. When I got my first UX job, I, I had an associate's degree. That was it. Wow. That was it. That's amazing. And, and, and so people think about, Oh, I got to get my degree. No, you don't. You just have to land in the right spot. And, and unfortunately we yeah. can't control it. You know, we, we, we're all, all early UXers. And even, even today, still a lot of folks are mega fortunate that we knew somebody of being back to the networking. We knew somebody, we came into contact with a situation and, and, and the cards just played out. Right. None of us can take a lot of credit for how we got started. I certainly can't. If that nonprofit that I always talk about did not need a website and I happened to be in the right place at the right time, then I don't get that. I don't get that opportunity. Yeah. And that turned into a freelance web design business that I started in 95. That's what mm-hmm. it turned into. Um, so, but everybody doesn't have that. So you just keep plugging away 
uh, for God's sake, don't have a sense of entitlement because that'll kill you. It'll show up in the interview and it'll kill you. Uh, But just keep plugging away and things will pan out. You keep plugging away. It's the quitters that never get anywhere. Right. I agree. Yeah. I mean, yes, 100%. What has been your biggest challenge, Justin? Um, facilitating successful engagements between UX and everybody else. Yeah. And I think it's a challenge we all face. This is, this is the story of being a change agent, right? It's how do we, um, how do we communicate the value? How do we communicate the work that we're doing? How do we realize it? Um, you know, one of the things that I have been recently saying a lot in um, the work that I've been doing is I want to drive revenue. I want to drive profit and I want to create lasting differentiation. Those three things. Nice. And those nice. three core concepts are really integral in telling that story and facilitating those successful engagements. Uh, one of the people that I spend a lot of time researching and learning about from a UX perspective, Joe Natoli talks a lot about plain language and, you know, we extrapolate the things that are important to us from everybody that we learn from right there's always a lesson and one of the big key lessons i've learned from him is about plain language and aligning with the goals of the people that i'm i'm trying to support right it's about being a supporting role and helping them feel like they can trust you because um we're aligned my goals are the same as their goals i'm trying to get them to the same place let's be plain and be candid with each other about where we're going Uh, and i found that's been helpful but it's still the biggest challenge and i don't see it going away anytime soon especially with the amount of misinformation people that are misplaced in roles you've got seniors that have only been doing it for a year things like that it it just doesn't all line up (laughs) so uh you know when you've got those roles happening you then whoever's in that role has to facilitate that like you got somebody who has one year of experience trying to design a UI for a multi-million dollar company. Yeah, problematic. And you need them to be trusted. You need them to be trusted. So yeah. you're as as a as a manager, your whole goal is facilitating that trust, selling that person, selling that person. Yes. And to some degree, they need to be able to do that on their own, on their own merits, right? Uh, so I think that that's the biggest challenge I'm facing. And now I don't have anybody on my team in that situation. I'm using that as a as right. an anecdote for the situation. But right, it's yeah. dead on accurate. Dead, dead on accurate. And again, it's not just about the work. There it is again. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yep. it's not. It's not, it's not just about the work. And, and it takes some people years. I'm trying to help people understand it earlier mm-hmm. in their career because it took me a while. I mean, and yeah. you didn't know this. I mean, I mentioned it on the thing on last week's show or, or I think I mentioned it on the show with uh, that we keep referring to with with Michelle and Eric. I, I almost walked away from UX in 2008. I did hear you say that. Yeah, I almost walked but away. But you didn't. And I didn't, and here we are. Yep. I would have been out for a bike ride. But I thought about it too, but I thought about it for the wrong reasons. You know, it's it's not the UX that I want to walk away from most of the time. Right, it's right. the relationships, yes. the toxic environments. Yes. And it doesn't seem like there's this this thing floating around. It, you know, every company uh, who says this a lot, Stephen Gates, every company is crazy. <laughs> Uh, every company has got their own crazy. It's like, where does your crazy fit in? Right? Yes. Does it align with their crazy? Yes. And I haven't, you know, up until now being at Live Core, I haven't found that. Like, you look at my resume. I've moved around a lot over my years in UX fields. Yep. Right. Contract positions is a big contributor in that. But the other contributor to that is crazy. You gotta give me. You gotta give me the the room to do my work. Right. Yeah. Like, so. Anyway, I get, again, I get it's not all about the work. Oh my God, <laughs> we could almost go on for twenty minutes on this part right here. You, the, I get ridiculed for my short stays. Number one, and I wish I, I cannot find it. Somebody wrote a piece that I saw about two or three years ago about how that the UX persons, the stay at a company, it, it it's it's a very short shelf life. Yeah, and it, and it's and it's not because of the contracts. It's for the very thing you just brought up. It's because it becomes overly difficult to manage the crazy mm-hmm. at a given organization or somebody just has their fill. I mean, I've said before and I'll say it again. I, I, I think I scared when I was on Debbie's show once and I think I scared her, scared her once she jumped when I mentioned it. But one, one job I had almost killed me. Oh, and yeah. I mean, literally. And nobody on LinkedIn knew about it because I didn't come back talking about it. But right. I was in the hospital for three days and that lost almost half my blood. Mm, and and people terrible. drive you nuts, and and, I, and there's a lot of details associated with that. That yeah. I, all all people need to know was that I, I it almost yeah. killed me. 
and it, it changed my perspective because mm-hmm. I was so willing to be at that company and I was being so steadfast. But when that happened and I got back to work the following week, when I got out of the hospital and I'd never spent a day, I never spent the night in the hospital in my life. Wow. And, and when that happened, I got back to work and nobody said, how are you doing? Glad you're back. Nobody said anything. Oh. Uh, it, it changed my perspective. Wow. A bit. But What but, a blow. <laughs> no, seriously. That that, is, you take it on the chin in that situation, <laughs> right? Like that's just. Insane. Wow. No support from leadership. Yeah. Uh, a marketing department that was trying to commandeer the user experience a backfilled agency that was mad because I was there to backfill them, didn't know anything about UX and had sent a person to a boot camp to learn about UX and I talked about a heuristic analysis and they made jokes about it. Uh, this yeah. type of stuff. I mean, just And, and a, a third party technology vendor that has the audacity to have a head of UX today, which I find hilarious. I saw it again just two days ago on LinkedIn. Uh, but uh, uh, where they even said once, those heuristics are outdated. There's no such thing as an outdated heuristic. Wow. <laughs> you know, but but that you didn't know, he didn't know anything yeah. about UX to even say that. I said his baby was ugly, and he got angry. Basically, yeah. when I did the heuristic yeah. analysis, and like this isn't personal; these are things we can we can make improvements and improve the user experience. It's not about any right. anybody's personality or who an individual is. We don't care about any of that. So, just, just interesting stuff. But I, I got my perspectives together, and when when crazy becomes unmanageable. And when there is no support from leadership, the question is, do you have any self-respect? Yeah. Because a lot uh, of people yeah. today do not. And they stay and they basically, problem, this will get a little raw, they prostitute themselves by mm-hmm. staying in that and they make it worse for the people on the team. They make mm-hmm. it worse for, all, for, for the discipline as a whole. And, and, it's, and, and we all end up bearing the brunt of it in some way, form, or fashion because people don't realize how easy we, easily we all cross-pollinate. And as you mentioned earlier, it's not just the UXers, it's the leaders in conjunction with it. They talk. They get around. And I've seen leaders yeah. read an article about personas and then come back to work and wage war about the persona work that we were doing on our UX team. Now, we have to, if I had not been there, the team would not have been able to maintain that. I push back. Yeah, but everybody else, you know, and there's a lot of cowards in UX today too, and folks just don't want to take a stand on anything. But but they read an article, they came back. Are folks ready to deal with that? Because this is what's happening, and that was the misinformation again. It's not. It's yep. like a survey. Survey isn't. It's not evil, but if it's in the hands of the wrong person, you would think it would be. Just like that 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 fork that you use to eat your steak. One person That's eats right. it with it. Some, one other person stabs somebody with it. It doesn't make the fork evil. So yeah, but people don't, they don't understand that. And so these, it's not just about the work. These are the things mm-hmm. we need to be able to navigate. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to help people navigate the crazy and make them yeah, aware. No. I got shushed. You'll love this. I got shushed in a local UX meeting because what? I was trying to help somebody understand about the crazy and somebody didn't want me to say anything. And they literally told a grown man to, to shh. And that's not the first oh time gosh. that ever, that's not the only time it ever happened to me. Wow. In those same settings where, you know, they just don't like what you're saying, but you're willing, you want to glaze people over with this toxic positivity. And then three <laughs> years, three years later, the person's crying the blues and walking, you run into them, you find out they walked away from UX. Yeah. And you didn't that's have to. Yeah. But yeah. at I mean, any rate. Emotional intelligence. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> huge, 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 huge. We're gonna. We, I know we have three more questions. I'm gonna pare this down to two. We always think this is gonna happen in 30 minutes, and it and it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, the one that we with That's Michelle right. and Eric and I. Yeah, this is gonna be 30 minutes. It was an hour long. Yeah. <laughs> just there's just too much good stuff that comes out of it, and the, the feedback yeah, I get, sure. it it blows me away. And I'm just glad that people have have an ability, the willingness to hear, because I've seen like somebody did a a post on LinkedIn about the top the top uh, uh, UX podcast. And I checked mm-hmm. out a couple of them and a couple of them is all fluff. And, yep. and a couple of them, the people been doing UX for like three minutes. I, I don't, you have every right to say certain things. And I, I actually, I wish those people would tell their story and I always encourage them to. I encourage yeah. students from UXD. They haven't been doing UX a long time, but please, uh, Julia, hey Julia, shout out for you. Go tell your story, but don't yeah. come out here and act like you're here to mentor anybody because you can't. 
You're not equipped. And, and when I see people with three years of experience, two years of experience, the people running through uh, Instagram with literally four or five months of experience claiming to be mentors. No, we, we have, we have an issue. We have an issue with that because it is a, it's a problem and, and it creates problems for all of us, which is why I go to interview with somebody once for, for a position. And the person that interviews me, the manager, the hiring manager has zero years of UX experience. Forget about years, zero minutes of UX experience uh, in their history. And they've been a developer for four or five years, but they've never done UX, not as part of their, and they didn't work at any fly-by-night companies, but it was all developer work. And now they're the manager. Those people don't want anything to do with me. Mm -hmm. And when, if I had known that before the interview, I would have turned the interview down because I already know what the person's going to do. And and, and even if they didn't, I know what it would be like if I get in there because I've seen it before. So just, you know, UX is, it's a, that's why I call it a whirlpool. It's, it's, it's a whirlpool and we got to, and it's a hard thing to navigate a boat in a whirlpool is tough, but that's, if you're going to be in UX, that's what you have to be ready to do. Cause that's the reality is that that's what we're in today. I'm going to pick two of these last three questions. Only two. Okay. If you had to go the ability, the old uh, magic wand question to go back in time and tell yourself one thing about UX and it could be anything, doesn't matter what it is. What would that golden piece of advice be? for Justin Renton. What what would you tell that we're going back to the future in a DeLorean? What would you tell yourself? (laughs) Unfortunately, it's not one word, Um, but uh, I I put a lot of thought into this. You know, I've had, you know, I've been thinking about these types of things uh, as of late. And I would say this, uh, Justin, you need to reflect, you need to write, you need to analyze, and you need to learn. You need to UX yourself. Yes. And you need to reflect on the things that you're doing. I didn't do enough reflection early on. Right. So a lot of the things that like the, the previous question you had around observations and the discipline, um, you know, that requires reflection. It requires observing what's going on around you. It requires analyzing that, taking notes and watching things change over time. And I was moving so fast that I was so like just buried in, in learning and developing the acumen and the skills and getting the knowledge so that I could actually do the job, do the work. I failed to reflect on what I was learning during that time frame of how it was affecting me. I failed to make notes about and analyzing. Uh, and this is a, you know, obviously a product of my ADD brain a little bit. Like I have to reread <laughs> things lots of times just in general because of the the cognitive uh, disparity that I have. So I, I sometimes read paragraphs and chapters more than once so that I can retain the information. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, having that opportunity to reflect on those things, write about them and, and really think, analyze, not, not just not just reflect on it, but analyze what I've learned in these situations, I would say is the, is the, the biggest piece of advice I would give myself. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's good stuff. Good stuff. And here's the, here's the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what advice do you have for up and coming UXers? Okay. I got a handful of nuggets here um, <laughs> that I, that I want to share and I'll, I'll try to be as brief as I can. No, go close. for it. It's up. Whatever you, what, whatever you got. So in the last two years, I've hired 12 people uh, for UX, right? I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of resumes in just the last two years. I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of portfolios. I know there are people that have been doing this way longer than me that have seen thousands and thousands and thousands, and I can appreciate that. But here's what I'm learning. There is a gap or there is at least a disconnect in um, connecting the work that folks are doing to the impact they're creating for their users, the business, the teams they're on, their career and elsewhere, right? It's the impact for me. When I'm, when I'm evaluating a portfolio and a resume, I want you to be able to speak to the intentionality of the decisions you made. And I want you to communicate to me the impact that those decisions are going to have across those spaces. Yes. If you added a, a color to a design system, that's global impact for your entire org. If you, um, you know, change language in a UI, that's global impact to all of your users. Talk about the impact that you're having. Talk about the collaboration impact that you have when you're facilitating uh, workshops, if you're facilitating conversations with engineering. If you have a light bulb moment with an engineer where they say, oh, I get UX now, 
put that in your portfolio because that to me tells me that you have effectively communicated and you understand the foundations, you're able to communicate them and you know how what you're doing is impacting down the road. People fail to miss that so much in their portfolio. I get the storytelling aspect of it, but for me, it just always comes back to that impact. That is Um, is dynamite. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, Another piece here is have a framework for evaluating your experiences, some sort of way to say, what's my craft? How, how well was this designed? How well um, can you know people move through tasks? Is it accessible? Is it, uh, you know, the checklist that we always talk about, have that UX checklist in some capacity, whether it's heuristics or whatever, look at it and reflect on it, you know, all the time, like always have it forefront. I think it's really important. One of the greatest things, uh, Eric, Shoemaker and I worked together for a while. And one of the things that he was really good at at, at preaching about was um, feature prioritization, right? Have a framework, a way to prioritize the things you're working on, prioritize the things that need to be done. And it's one of the biggest lessons I've learned from him. And I've carried that through and it's part of my process now. So Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. The last piece, well, there's two more. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Go deep in emotional intelligence. I'm just going to leave that out there. Emotional Intelligence 2.0 was a great book for me, really helped kick off emotional intelligence for me. Highly recommend it. I'm sure there's others out there, but go deep there. Um, And the last piece of advice for folks is learn to do design critique because it will elevate you, your peers, and all of the work that you're doing. Uh, So, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, man, you just you just made me think about something. too. I think I need to deliver my 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 EQ talk again. Cause it's never been recorded. It's never been recorded. Oh, now you can do it. You can pre-record it. And I would love to hear it. I've not heard it, (laughs) but, um, all of your posts on LinkedIn really related to emotional intelligence. When I first started at a live core, I was actually in the middle of reading emotional intelligence 2.0 for, I think the second time or something like that. And, um, I posted about it in our general, we have general Slack channel and stuff like that. That's the kind of person I am. I'm really open. I tell people what I'm doing and how I'm advancing myself because I want to bring people along that ride with me. I want them yes. to say, Oh, I learned from that. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah. Do we have, do we have two more minutes? I want to circle yeah. back to something. If you have two okay. minutes, <laughs> I've got plenty of time. Um, you talked about something earlier that really struck a chord with me uh-huh. while I was at a, a, a really large tech company um, in, in the recent years. And it was about, you mentioned something about, we need to bring back UX journalists. Uh, you know, we, we, we need to be more broad. Yeah. And I agree completely with that. I consider myself a generalist. Um, here's what I learned. I agree with you. Big companies and corporations like big tech companies that I used to work for, they do not know how to apply breadth. They just don't get it. They, they don't understand what generalist means and they don't know how yeah. to tap into that skill set, right? I'm a facilitator. It's my favorite thing to do in UX is to lead workshops, teach people. Yeah. I love doing that. Never did that the entire time I was with this company, right? I love, I love talking to people and learning and doing research. Didn't do any research in that job. I was an interaction design designer and all of those skills got left on the table. They didn't get developed for like six, eight months. It was, I felt miserable because there was so much more that I could do. And my voice was suppressed because all those other skills weren't being utilized. And I think, yes, bring back the UX generalist, but also create an environment and a space to allow people to use the breadth of their skills. Yes, You'd be a lot I think a lot of people would be a lot better off if they actually allowed their employees, their, 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 their people to shine everywhere that they can shine, not just in one area. Yeah. Cause people get clipped. Yeah. A, a lot. And, and one of the things that I noticed, matter of fact, I, I left the job once because we talked about doing UX in conjunction with my job. But when I started, I wasn't doing any UX. And not only was I not doing any UX, they frequently had me doing everything but. And I said, you know Mm. what? If you sit, Mr. Hood, if you stay in this situation, uh, well, let me back up. If you leave, somebody else is going to talk about you again. And serving all those people notice, I never care what any of you think because you don't really know what's going on anyway. I mean, if you're not thinking, why should I care what you're thinking? Basically, that's the way that I look at it. You just don't know. know, People don't have the insight. And a lot of us, end up getting bullied by people sharing their opinions when they won't 
their opinion isn't worth two cents because they don't really know anything. If I stayed, so if I leave, I'm going to get ridiculed by certain people who live to ridicule me anyway, so who cares? And I've been bullied since I was four, so I'm a vet. I can handle it. So, (laughs) so, and you learn to like just blow that stuff off. But if you stay, Mr. Hood, you're going to go stale. Matter of fact, if it wasn't, I ended up doing a, I haven't done a web design project for someone from a freelance perspective for at least 10 years that, that wasn't connected to work. I did a web design project during that time and it was doing things like that, doing the research, doing all the, 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 what I like to, to refer to as the heuristic formative work trying mm-hmm. to make sure that letting heuristics guide the design processes, uh, doing mm-hmm. all of this stuff. That's the kind of stuff that helped keep me sharp while I was sitting here and being forced to, to learn how to use a content management system, you know, in 15 minutes because somebody volunteered me for it when I didn't, that, that wasn't wow. part of my UX job. It was, it wasn't my job to sit around and do and, and, and try to come up with uh, a different kind of guidelines for the best way to, to proceed a certain way in the business. I, I was doing all this other kind of stuff that I did 20 years, that I did way before I was doing UX. I, I was going back to going back to 1987. Really? Um, if you stay in this, you're going to lose. Not only, not only are you going to go stale, uh, but you won't have any, when somebody, when you do talk to somebody else and you talk about what you did at that job, you're not going to have anything to show. In other words, if you stay here, you die. Yeah. From a UX perspective. Wow. And so you got to recognize somebody told me once uh, on LinkedIn, I can't remember who said it, but kudos to whoever it was. And I needed to hear it. Uh, it takes more courage to leave than it does to stay. It does. And it does take courage to leave, right? <laughs> you you yeah. have to be vulnerable to leave. You have to open yourself up. You have to, yep. it's a risky move for a lot of people, yep. uh, especially we look at some of these jobs, especially uh, people that are make, maybe maybe little junior, more mid-level folks that are getting paid six figures to do work. Um, they've never made this kind of money in their past before. It's completely probably changed their life, their way of living and everything. And now yeah. they just realize that they're in a bad situation. They can't walk away from that. Right. It's going to impact everything. It's going to impact their life. It's going to impact their, their family life, You know, their bills. It's a really, I mean, then you're spending half your time looking for another job on the clock on the company's time, right? Cause you don't have a choice, right? You have to, you know? So it's like, it's really difficult, but I think that that's a, a invaluable piece of information right there. If you're not doing the work and you're in the role, you're going to walk away with nothing to put in your portfolio. Exactly. That's huge. Exactly. Yeah. But, and the longer you stay, the worse it gets and the more difficult yeah. it will be. And, and, and the competitive landscape and UX is terrible. And, and, and it's not like you're competing against a bunch of qualified people. Yeah. You're, you're competing against qualified people, unqualified people, fabricated people, fraudulent people. And so it, it's like the, the volume of people that you have to compete with to get a job in UX is like fourfold higher than what it would be in other situations. And, and, oh, and it even gets worse when you talk about trying to get or interview and get hired at a company that knows nothing about UX. That was my next point. They don't hire the right people anyway. Well, the competition shifts from being, it's not the UX person next to you that you're competing with. You're competing (laughs) with the guy that doesn't know what he's talking about. He's evaluating a portfolio and he sees this bootcamp portfolio that's got beautiful visual design. And that's what he wants is something pretty and polished. But the, the, then the guy that's doing the UX uh, that's actually meeting the requirements for the position yeah. can't get his foot in the door because at the end of the day, it's not about the visual, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it is, but it's not like, that's yeah. not, that's, that's not the mission that we're on. The mission is, is delivering usable, accessible and inclusive products hands yes. down. Like that's it. Yes. And so somebody once told me, they Googled, what's the definition of a good experience? There is no singular definition. Well, I'll tell you what mine is. Usable, <laughs> accessible, inclusive yeah. experiences. I think it's yes. easy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and that's basically it. All right. That's basically it. But man, this has Dan, been, this has been dynamite and, and, uh, agreed. yeah, I think mean, people will have a, have an absolute joy 
in, in, in hearing this. And I love having these conversations. I said recently, I love talking to people on these shows. I don't, if it had my way, all the rest of the shows would be me talking with other people about UX. And I think the dyna- the dynamic uh, benefits people more. Eh, but sometimes I got to talk by myself. It just works out that way. But man, I appreciate you so much coming on the show today. And, and I know people are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, but we got to wrap up at some time. And, and so here we are. The pleasure are. is all mine, Darren. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Look, I, I, this is the first time we've really had a long face-to-face conversation. Yeah. All of our experiences have mostly been on LinkedIn with the exception of interfacing on Debbie's podcast chat, I think, one time. <laughs> uh, when you were talking about emotional intelligence, believe yeah. it or not. Yep. <laughs> uh, but this has been huge. Thank you so much. I love it. Uh, thank you for the platform that you're giving people oh, to yes. talk about their experiences. Absolutely. Thank you for everything you're doing in the industry to elevate and educate and drive our community forward. It's invaluable and it's going to, you're, you're creating a legend for your, you know, a legacy for yourself. And I thank you so much. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Right. Hey folks, though, we are out of time today. So it's time to sign off. Thank you for listening to me and to Justin today. Tell other people about the podcast, get the word out. And, and, uh, and if you get any questions, make sure reach out to me, connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me know if you have any questions, anything you'd like to hear us cover on the podcast. We would absolutely love to do that. So, but that's it for today. So until next time, signing off now, this is Darren Hood, the host of the world of UX. Happy UXing everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.